We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. The spectacular collapse of the FTX cryptocurrency exchange has sent shockwaves through the financial sector, leaving investors scrambling to recover their deposits and sending other crypto firms into chaos, with one major lender going bust just this past Monday. Meantime, the debacle has also pushed the rest of us to re-ask the question, right, what exactly is cryptocurrency again? Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, as the fallout continues to spread across the crypto world and the calls for greater regulation grow louder, we're going to consider where the industry could be headed next. And at the same time, we'll also discuss why even those of us who do not have a well-stuffed crypto wallet should be paying attention. Our guide for this half hour is going to be Daniel Roberts, the editor-in-chief of Decrypt. That's a cryptocurrency-focused news outlet dedicated to demystifying the topic. So even if you don't know an NFT from a DMV, you came to the right place. Daniel Roberts, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for having me on, Keith. So for outsiders, the crypto world really can be something of a bewildering place. You know, I, I think probably just about everybody knows about Bitcoin at this point. It's the cryptocurrency that uh, really launched this industry more than 10 years ago. But uh, so many others have followed since. Uh, now we've got uh, Ethereum, BNB, Dogecoin. And uh, more recently, we've been introduced to the uh, truly baffling NFTs, uh, really speaking for myself on that one, probably. But uh, even with all that's been going on, for the most part, crypto news has been pretty easy for most people to simply tune out. That all changed, though, just a few weeks ago with the jaw-dropping revelations coming out from FTX. That was the world's third largest crypto exchange, until that is the company filed for bankruptcy earlier this month, as it came to light that its holdings were not what they seemed. 
this episode has raised all kinds of questions about just what is going on inside the crypto sector. And uh, it's also reignited a debate over whether crypto was maybe a bad idea from the start. But uh, let's start with the story at the heart of all this. Uh, Daniel Roberts, just to make sure all of our listeners are up to speed, what were those revelations about FTX and uh, what has been the fallout since? Sure. And you're certainly right. Uh, part of why I think this has gone so mainstream as a news story is because FTX had taken such efforts to work on brand name recognition. I mean, they slapped their name on the Miami Heat arena. The FTX logo patch was on every MLB umpire's uniform. So the average person, even someone who had tuned out crypto, was maybe vaguely becoming aware of FTX as a crypto company. And as you said, it was one of the largest exchanges. Now, what actually happened was customer funds were being funneled through to a different company, the founder Sam Bankman-Fried's hedge fund Alameda, which actually predates FTX. And those two companies, which were supposedly separate, were not at all separate. That's part of the problem. The other problem was that both Alameda and FTX were doling out loans and keeping customer funds in its own token, FTT. And having an exchange token isn't by nature necessary, necessarily an evil. I mean, Binance, which is the largest crypto exchange in the world by volume has an exchange token, BNB. It's about how you use it. And the problem when you're holding assets or giving out loans or doing commitments in your own token is what happens when the token plummets in value? And the cliff notes, of course, it's, it's good I mentioned Binance. Suddenly, uh, the CEO of Binance, Changpeng Zhao, who had actually been an early investor in FTX, so he had a lot of FTT tokens, he announced on a Sunday a few weeks back that he was going to liquidate his holdings, Binance's holdings of FTT, due to recent revelations that have come to light. Those revelations were a leaked Alameda balance sheet showing just how much exposure Alameda had to the FTT token. So pretty easy to track chain of events there. That tweet triggers a sell-off in FTT. FTT plummets in price. And suddenly, people get concerned about the safety of their funds at FTX. There's a run on the bank of sorts, and FTX saw more than $5 billion of customer withdrawals in one day, which was unprecedented, and it didn't have the liquidity to cover. It didn't have the funds. Right. And so basically, there's, there's, there's a lot of acronyms there. But just to kind of bottom line it, we have these two companies uh, associated with uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, and they are relying more heavily on FTT, which is this uh, you know, in-house currency that uh, his companies have control over uh, than anybody knew. And so if your collateral is a currency that you made up, that really calls into question your ability to pay for uh, the, the, the money that you owe people. That's exactly right. And, and I should mention here that a good contrast is Coinbase. Now, Coinbase, like Binance and like FTX, is a crypto exchange. Uh, it is publicly traded in the U.S., but it doesn't have its own exchange token. So first of all, they can say, we don't even do that. There is no Coinbase token. But in addition, they don't lend out or trade with customer funds. They hold your funds one-to-one. -one. So you go to Coinbase, you put in $100 US and you buy $100 worth of Bitcoin. If you're letting Coinbase hold that Bitcoin for you, then anytime when you check back, you can take out that amount. Now, maybe in the interim, Bitcoin went up or down in value, but FTX was immediately funneling out customer funds for other use cases. Now, Sam Bankman-Fried in interviews has said that he simply didn't have the right sense of the leverage and that he wasn't consciously doing this, but hard to buy that argument. And this gives Coinbase a little bit of a victory lap to say, we're a trusted exchange. Of course, many, many people will look at the FTX class and say, I'm not going to touch any crypto exchange. That's understandable. 
All right. Uh, well, speaking once again to uh, Daniel Roberts, the editor-in-chief of the Decrypt Cryptocurrency News Outlet. And uh, we should say, uh, just in case uh, we missed it, that both FTX and Alameda Research filed uh, for bankruptcy on November 11th. So this is kind of a saga that's been playing out. We've been getting a little bit more information about exactly what happened within FTX uh, over the past few weeks. It's been sort of dribbling out. And let's return to a, a question that you sort of alluded to a little bit earlier. You know, why is it that FTX has been so impactful in the crypto space? Why this uh, has been the story that's really blown the lid off of so many things? Because uh, there was a lot of turmoil in this market uh, earlier in the year, a lot of companies struggling. Why FTX in particular? Uh, and, and, and why has this been so um, uh, shocking? You know, uh, you know ex explaining that to uh, folks that aren't necessarily... Uh, familiar with uh, crypto finance, why 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 have people both within uh, the crypto space and people without both been you know like r really shocked by what they've learned about what was going on at FTX? Well, I'm glad you asked. I mean, a lot of this has to do with the founder himself and sort of the cult of SBF, as Sam Bankman-Fried was nicknamed. He had really sort of come out of nowhere and seemed like a genius trader. He made his money by. Um, noticing the inefficiencies in what's sometimes nicknamed the kimchi premium, which is that in mm. South Korea, Bitcoin trades for a higher price. So you can do great arbitrage by buying Bitcoin somewhere else, selling it in South Korea, and even if it's small margins, if you're doing a lot of it, you can make big money. So that led him to start Alameda, which was basically a hedge fund. That predated FTX. And of course, it was always said these are totally separate companies. FTX also said FTX US was a separate entity. Well, none of them were very separate. They were all part of the same operation. But there was a sort of golden child image around Sam. He was quirky, dweeby, fascinating to people. Um, his parents are Stanford professors. He's a math whiz. And he was very uh, happy to give interviews to the press. He would speak at tons of conferences. Originally, FTX was based in Hong Kong. Then it moved to the Bahamas. Both of those obviously friendlier, looser regulations than the U.S. So maybe people should have always seen it coming. But the real point here is just how lightning fast the company grew big. I mean, it had a $32 billion valuation. Its volume put it in the top four crypto exchanges in the world. And this was all in the span of like two years. I mean, FTX started in 2019. In fact, in 2021, when it signed a 19-year contract, to be the naming rights sponsor of the Miami Heat NBA arena, I did an interview with Sam and I asked him, how can the city of Miami and the NBA feel confident in doing a 19-year commitment with your company when your company hasn't even existed for three years? And his answer mm. was sort of a mic drop comment at the time. He said, well, we've done pretty well in the last year, so well that we could pay the whole contract up front if we wanted to. And that's because crypto exchanges make their money on trading fees. Even when Bitcoin is down, if people are selling, if they're trading, the exchange makes money. So FTX did extremely well during the pandemic when the retail investor revolution happened. Crypto booming, you know, meme stocks, GameStop, all that was part and parcel of the same movement. But now we know that behind the scenes, it was terribly mismanaged and fraudulent. Yeah. Well, real quick, uh, just going to reintroduce you. Uh, once again, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Mancone. Uh, today on the show, well, following the collapse of the FTX exchange and with the uh, crypto world in chaos, we're surveying the wreckage with Daniel Roberts. He, once again, is the editor-in-chief of the Decrypt Cryptocurrency News Outlet. And... All right. So I think that that all lays a very good foundation. What's been going on the past couple of weeks, why it has been so explosive. I want to spend the rest of this conversation really talking about where the crypto sector is 
headed now and uh, how all of these revelations are likely to impact it. Before we go any further, though, I really want to justify to our listeners why this is something that they should be paying attention to at this point, you know, because I think if if the last couple of weeks have taught us anything, it's that this is a very fast moving space and there is a lot of money tied up there and uh, a lot of uh, new technology and new ideas uh, tied up there as well. And so I'm really hoping that this can uh, offer an opportunity to get a window into this world, this very fast changing world. And maybe the, the, the first question to address is, is, you know, is crypto headed for a complete implosion? Will we not even be talking about cryptocurrency uh, a year from now? And maybe a good way to get into that part of our conversation is to bring in an anecdote that you mentioned before we turned uh, uh, these microphones on, which is that, you know, you were just at a an award show for crypto and it wasn't as dour as you might expect it to have been coming so uh, closely after the FTX collapse. Yeah, that's right. And the award show is actually uh, our own. It's called The Crypties. This was the inaugural year. Uh, great success, great fun, because there are a lot of positives in this industry. And by the way, Keith, I mean, I should mention, we aren't out there saying rah-rah crypto. I don't tell people to invest in crypto. We are uh, a news outlet like any other. And I like to say that we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of this industry. And there's a lot of ugly, but this is a brand new nascent technology. That's how new technologies always play out. Uh, and in between the massive, you know, blowups that get a lot of press are sort of slow and steady, quiet successes. I mean, Coinbase has been around since 2012 and has weathered multiple uh, crypto winters, as they're called. Uh, I've been writing about Bitcoin since 2011. I've seen these cycles come and go. And every time that there's a collapse of a big player or a price crash, people say, well, doesn't this mean all of crypto is going to collapse? Bitcoin has been trading for 13 years now. I mean, in the big scheme of things, it's still pretty new, but that is not nothing. And Bitcoin has never, you know, failed, stopped trading, gone to zero. A lot of people have the misconception that doesn't Bitcoin get hacked all the time? Bitcoin does not get hacked. Uh, centralized exchanges or companies get hacked, but not the Bitcoin blockchain. And you mentioned Ethereum. That's the number two. Uh, the difference that people should understand is Ethereum was specifically designed as a network to build and launch things on top of. It's a smart contracts blockchain. So the entire world people talk about of NFTs, DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations, which have become sort of the new crypto communities. All of those things are built on the back of Ethereum. And I would just say to people that, you know, there's no guarantee any of these other tens of thousands of altcoins will succeed. They all might crash and fail. But Bitcoin and Ethereum have been going strong for over a decade and are likely going to continue. And the collapse of a bad actor, a company that was mismanaged, does not equate with the entire industry. Uh, you know, to circle back to the award show we were doing, I tend to think lately that crypto is now too vast an umbrella term because it's an entire industry with different corners. There are artists that are selling their art as NFTs. They have nothing to do with the collapse of FTX, you know, a, a Bitcoin buying exchange for investors. There's speculative investors. Wall Street has gotten in. Big publicly traded companies are in. But there's so many different parts of this industry. And I would just tell people, let's talk in 10 years. It is still going to be here. 
Yeah, and you just uh, tossed around a couple of terms. So let's uh, pause for a second and do a, uh, a quick vocab lesson, uh, starting with blockchain. Give us the 30-second the to one-minute explanation of what blockchain is and why it allows more useful activity uh, on the Internet than uh, could have been done without it. Oh, sure. Happy to do that. Uh, you know, I, I sort of use the analogy, and maybe even this is outdated now in our digital age, but in the old days, if you went to a library and you took out a library book, there was an insert inside, and it showed you everyone else who's taken out the book with a stamp and the date that they returned it. Think of blockchain like that, a public visible ledger of all the transactions that have happened on that chain. And even that right there is something I think a lot of people get wrong. They have this image of Bitcoin as private and scammy and fraudulent and it's anonymous. That is not at all true. In fact, it's really just semi-anonymous. If I send Keith to Bitcoin, uh, the transaction is immediately logged on chain. It doesn't say Dan Roberts sent Keith Minconi to Bitcoin, but it does say wallet XY3 sent wallet 224J to Bitcoin. And everything is trackable and traceable. They can then see that your wallet sent one Bitcoin to this other wallet. And so it's all public. It's permissionless, as it's called. And it's lightning fast. It's also immutable. That means people can't go back and try to change, uh, tinker with, tamper with the transaction records. So long story short, this is a much more efficient, fast, frictionless way to keep track of records and not just financial, but think of things like logistics, shipping, supply chain. And a lot of companies are coming around to noticing that. Yeah. And then the other term that you threw out was uh, NFTs. I guess I'll, I'll try to give a quick explanation and you can uh, correct me if I'm leaving anything out. But basically, it's it's uh, another way of uh, tracking the ownership of potentially virtual property, uh, you know, ownership of an image, perhaps, or potentially not virtual property, but, but using uh, that blockchain to have some trackable way that you can certify that you do own uh, this particular uh, thing. And so correct me if I'm wrong uh, on, on that, but also let me say, you up for uh, just the, the broader question of help us understand what the broader application of all of this is. I mean, obviously, a lot of people are making a lot of money. But if we are just folks that want society to work a little bit better, and we're not necessarily interested in finance, how does this all add up to useful things in society? Yes. So first of all, I tell people, I think all this jargon is going to go away. So yes, an NFT is a non-fungible token. And the difference there is that Bitcoin is fungible like a US dollar. If I hand you $1 bill, you hand me a different one. We each still have a dollar. Same with Bitcoin. Not the case with non-fungible tokens. Each token is unique. But other than that, they're all just tokens. I mean, I think eventually we're going to stop distinguishing and using these terms. Bitcoin is also a token. Ethereum, ETH is a token. So tokens can be used in different ways. They can be currency. They can be a contract, a deed that represents ownership of something else. And that's how NFTs work. And you're right. The speculative bubble in NFTs, these digital JPEGs of cartoon apes that celebrities were buying for hundreds of thousands of dollars, that has distracted from the point of the underlying technology. The point of the tech is that you can use an on-chain token to prove your ownership over whatever is in that data. That token is not actually the art. The token can be linked to a piece of art. You're using the token to show that you own it, you hold the keys, you're the only one who can access and move it on chain. In other words, you're the only one who could sell the token to someone else. So the early prominence has been in art, 
but it has applications that are already being tried for fractional real estate investing, ticketing to a live event. I've gone to parties where you can't get into the party unless you show on chain that you own the NFT. And a lot of people are working on really interesting use cases that I think are sort of under the radar right now because they don't have the glitz of $100,000 bored ape JPEG. But they are going to be here to stay, and I think that people should just understand that they don't necessarily have to pay attention right now, but within a few years, they're probably going to be using an NFT to prove their ownership over something. And the promise of that is that it's going to make payments more frictionless and uh, less costly? Well, that's what blockchain does, that's for sure. I mean, right now, you know, if you want to send money to someone who's in a foreign country and the situation is urgent, in the old days, you'd go to the, you know, Western Union walk-up window, you'd pay a big fee, and there would be a three or four day wait time. But with blockchain, it's instantaneous with a fraction of the fee. And then the person has the crypto and can convert it to their local currency. Similarly with NFTs, lightning fast, you can pull it up on chain right away, and you can trade it and get into an event by scanning the code, this is probably going to reduce uh, a lot of problems with scalpers. Mark Cuban, for example, the owner of the Dallas Mavs, he wants to use NFTs for Mavs tickets for his franchise. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for medical records on chain. The idea is the digital permanence of these things. All right. Well, I'm going to reintroduce you one last time. Once again, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, now that the whole world is talking about crypto in the wake of the FTX meltdown, we're trying to demystify the topic with the help of Daniel Roberts, once again, the editor-in-chief of the Decrypt cryptocurrency news outlet. So we've been talking about some of the promise for these uh, crypto technologies, crypto-related technologies. Let's talk about some of the response that we've seen to the FTX meltdown. And a lot of that has been in the form of calls for greater regulation, greater scrutiny. We've been hearing that from Senator Elizabeth Warren, who has been comparing crypto to the uh, subprime mortgage uh, mortgages of 2008, basically saying, well, you know, this is obviously... Uh, something that can make uh, investors a lot of money. But if uh, if it's sneaking through the cracks of uh, regulation, it, there's uh, a lot of uh, instability for the economy that this could introduce. So she's trying to, you know, raise the uh, red flag there. We've also heard from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who's saying that this episode should uh, in, be cause for more scrutiny and uh, cause for uh, greater regulation as well. What are you expecting the regulatory response to be? Uh, what sorts of regulations could take place? Yeah, I mean, regulation has been basically the biggest story in this industry for years. It's really not new. And the heightened calls for regulation are to be expected. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried has done his industry peers no favors. That said, uh, it's very hard to regulate a fast-moving new technology. And so, you know, I, I don't envy the, the politicians and lawmakers who are trying to first educate themselves as they go in order to understand how this stuff even works in order to regulate it. But what people should understand is regulating an industry does not mean shutting it down and destroying it. I think a lot of people make the mistake of they see calls for regulation. They go, that's the end of crypto. I mean, even President Joe Biden put out an um, executive order for a working group on crypto. And he said that he wants all the different agencies, you know, the CFTC, the SEC, the IRS to get on the same page about regulating this industry. That is not the same as him saying, 
I want to get rid of it and clamp down on it. Let's end crypto, which by the way, the whole point of it being decentralized is you couldn't shut down Bitcoin. You know, it has tens of thousands of different nodes and operators. But absolutely, there need to be investor safeguards and safe rails and rules of the road because a company like FTX, even though it did KYC, which stands for Know Your Consumer, and AML, anti-money laundering rules, that really only means that if the government comes knocking on FTX's door, they give up the customer information of their users. That is not the same as having a regulator have oversight of where the funds were at all times and what they were doing with those funds. So you will see more regulation of crypto, but it's going to be very slow to come. We know that DC moves very slowly. And the other great irony of this whole saga is that Sam Bankman-Fried was the big crypto advocate in DC. He was traveling back and forth from the Bahamas to DC. He was whining and dining congressional staffers. He had befriended politicians on both sides of the aisle, trying to teach them about crypto and help them regulate the industry so that crypto could continue in a safe way. Well, it turned out that the biggest friend in DC was the biggest fraud. But crypto will continue and companies will have to choose whether they want to comply with stricter regulations or leave and, and be based offshore. Yeah. Well, I want to close with sort of a, a, a look at how close we are to realizing that promise, some of those promises uh, that you say crypto really could fulfill. And uh, I think that this episode has also invited a lot of skepticism of how far uh, crypto really can go towards uh, what has been the promise all along. I'm going to bring in uh, the comments of a couple of more critics right now. Uh, these are senior staffers with the European Central Bank. Uh, they just wrote a piece arguing that Bitcoin is uh, on the on its last gasp before becoming completely irrelevant. And uh, they went on to write, quote, uh, since Bitcoin appears to be neither suitable as a payment system nor as a form of investment, it should be treated as neither in regulatory terms and thus should not be legitimized. So basically, you know, for, for the outsider looking in, we, we see all this volatility. We see uh, the, the, all, all this wealth seemingly evaporating overnight. So if, if uh, Bitcoin and, and, and other cryptocurrencies are not good as a store of wealth, if we can't rely on it for these uh, basic functions, how can this uh, industry really ever mature and do some of those things that you're talking about, making those transactions more seamless, making uh, certain kinds of uh, 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 utility uh, real for um, uh, consumers and I investors? Uh, what is the response from the industry to those reservations? Yeah, well, first of all, Keith, I mean, that's the big question when it comes to Bitcoin is, is it a technology? Is it a payment system? Is it investment? Is it an, a store of value? Which it certainly hasn't behaved like a store of value in the last year. But what the advocates would say is zoom out your time horizon because it's been trading mm. 13 years and it's way up since it first started. People just like to focus on the past year. But let's remember, I mean, when Bitcoin came around in 2008, the original white paper from the inventor, Satoshi, which was a pseudonym, we don't know what person or persons that were, said a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. It didn't say digital gold. It didn't say, you know, buy it and hold on to it like a stock and it'll go up in value. It was meant to be an entire electronic payment rails. And so that's something people should understand right away is it's always been volatile. It's always been a risky investment. Uh, people should do their own research before they invest. I've seen, you know, sob stories of people who lost their life savings in FTX. Well, why did you have your life savings in crypto, right? It's always been a highly volatile speculative asset. 
but it has other use cases and applications. I mean, the real innovation was the idea of blockchain, of decentralized ledger, peer-to-peer, permissionless technology that a lot of companies are eyeing and adopting and experimenting with separate from Bitcoin. Now, of course, the purists would say, well, that defeats the purpose. You can't have blockchain without a token, a cryptocurrency. But there are a lot of things that are going to use tokenization. I mean, in-app currency, in-game currencies, uh, blockchain behind the scenes. And there are a lot of uses of crypto for good that are totally separate from, oh, I bought a ton of this uh, bad brand new altcoin, you know, Dogecoin, and it went down and plummeted and I lost my shirt. Uh, it's easy to focus on those things and say, see, all of crypto is stupid or it looks like a fraud and a scam, but you miss the actual giant now industry that more and more people are entering every year full time that is building a lot of cool use cases with the technology. Yeah, well, certainly a lot changing in this space, as we've been discussing, uh, a lot to be learned. And uh, so we do thank you for your coverage and for uh, offering us a window uh, on this program into this world. Uh, we have been speaking one last time to Daniel Roberts the editor-in-chief of the Decrypt Cryptocurrency News Outlet. Daniel Roberts, thanks so much. My pleasure. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well, talk again next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.